I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Hebrews chapter number 2. Hebrews chapter number 2. The last time we met, we were looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through verse number 4, which is a parenthetical of five of them that deal with the Word of God, being dull to the Word and denying the Word, defying the Word, and those kind of things. It's kind of a, hey, don't mess around and get the Word of God out of sync and out of your life. Now, at the end of chapter number one, he was dealing with the angels. And now that he's going back out of this parenthesis, he's going to go back in and add a little something about the angels and bring in man. And so in his doing so and bringing in man, we're going to learn some things about the angels versus man. And we're going to be seeing some verses that are quoted out of the book of Psalms in chapter number 8, where it talks about what is man, that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man, that thou visitest him. And as I thought about that and thinking about a title for this, I thought about the song title that Rusty Goodman wrote when he named it, Who am I? Quite a question, isn't it? Who am I? The word says, when I think of how he came so far from glory, came to dwell among the lowly such as I, to suffer shame and such disgrace, on Mount Calvary take my place. Then I asked myself this question, who am I? Who am I that the king would bleed and die for? Who am I that he would pray, not my will thine for? The answer I may never know why he'd ever love me so, but to that old rugged cross he'd go, for who am I? When I'm reminded of his words, I'll leave thee never. If you'll be true, I'll give to you life forever. Oh, I wonder what I could have done to deserve God's only son, which is nothing, folks, to fight my battles until they're won, for who am I? We're dealing with this question of what is man? Who am I? When we get to chapter number 2 of the book of Hebrews and start in verse number 5, he makes an incredible statement here. In verse number 5, he says, For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come whereof we speak. We're going to look at three things in this passage between verses 5 and verse number 18. We're going to look at the subjection, the center, and the Savior. 
And he starts off back to verse 14 of chapter 1. They're ministering spirits. Wonderful. But they are not going to rule in the millennium. No, that's what man is going to do. Now, there's people who want to know if this is talking about the Lord or talking about man. We're going to get to a place where we're going to show you some words that will show he's talking about man. But right now, let's just suffice it to say that the angels are not, very plain, are not. He hath not put into subjection. He's not put them in control of the world that is to come. That would be the millennial reign, the millennial rule. But then he has a contrast. But. And when we come to this contrast, we go from angels to man, the sinner, the man. But one in a certain place testified. That's back in the book of Psalms, chapter number 8. Saying, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Now, the first thing we see is the confounded. They're perplexed. They're confounded. Why is man going to be in the place of the angels? First of all, is this the Jesus they're talking about, or is they're talking about the man that Christ has redeemed? Well, let's take a look at the word mindful. Who are am I? Who am I? What is man that thou art mindful of him that you even call him to your memory that you even bring it up on your radar screen you know sometimes people will say i wonder if so and so it'll be somebody high up in authority uh uh knows anything about me and you know my answer is they don't even know you exist they don't even they can't bring you to mind they don't even know who you are but I am grateful that my Lord knows me. Who am I? I'm nothing. I'm a sinner. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all miss the mark. We are all sinners. But why would Christ then bring it back to our mind? If you go back into the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 5, it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And he talks about who he is and what he was doing based on who he is, which blows our mind that God would come down and take over and go to the cross willingly for man. And so he recalls us. But then he says, At, who, who am I or what is man that thou art mindful of him? or the Son of Man, that thou visitest him. The idea of the word visitest him carries the idea of to select, to relieve, to look upon. We see that it carries the idea to look for, to inspect. So it is a totally uh, unique word that we can take and see that God was visiting man to help us. And we're going to see that later. This word visitus helps us see that he's talking to humans and not about himself because the word visitus has the idea of to look upon in order to help 
to benefit, to look after, or to care for. Okay? So we have a great God who cares for us. Over in Psalm 8, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Again, to call in to remembrance. Or the son of man that thou visitest him. And again, we're looking at now the Hebrew word, and it refers to someone paying attention to somebody for either good or bad, either to bring punishment or harm or to bring something else. And it's in the causative stem that causes it. We're talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then when we look at the fact that they were confounded, we also see that God crowned him with glory and honor. When, when did God ever crown man with glory and honor? Well, let's go back to the Garden of Eden when they were made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 to 1.28, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. There's the word, rule, subjection. Over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them. And God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. We see there that the Creator had a purpose for our, our being in the Garden of Eden. Now, of course, sin ruined that and everything else. But as Christ has come and is restoring it, one day when he sets up his millennial kingdom, he's going to put man and we're going to rule and reign with him. He's the chief, but we will rule and reign with him, not the angels. So we see not only the confounding of this passage, that man, who am I, but the crowning that we don't deserve, but got because of grace at what Christ did at Calvary. Because in verse number uh Verse number 6 and 7, it talks about not only being crowned him with glory and honor, but did set him over the works of thy hands. You set him over those works. And then we see further, thou hast put all things in subjection, control under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. Meaning it hasn't happened yet. We see that he has put all things into the control. But we don't presently have that just yet. That is something to come. The world to come. Not the angels, the world to come. But the saved sinner. Now, I want us to spend the rest of our time here. Because we see another contrast. But. So we see this outline that I've come up with. Is separated by that little contrast word. But. 
the subjection that is not the angels. Verse 5, verse 6, but one in a certain place, and we transcend to the center that Christ has come to save. Verse number 9, but we see Jesus. Now we turn to the Savior. Now we're talking about Jesus. But now we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. We see the contrast. He was made lower than the angels, not because he is lower and angels are higher, but because he was going to step down out of the glory world to suffer death. So what we see here is that he is crowned with glory and honor. We can be crowned because he's crowned. He will rule as the king on David's throne. We will rule and reign with him. This uh, is an interesting thought because it says we see Jesus who was made. Because at this point in time, the writer of Hebrews would have been able to say Jesus was on the earth and that he died and bled and was buried and rose again, especially if this was written by Paul. And he said he was crowned with glory and honor that by him the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God would come, should taste death for every man. We see not only that was he crowned, but we see the crucifixion here in play that he's going to go to a place where he is going to be there for the suffering the affliction of death that he would taste death for every man the idea is to cause the taste to eat in other words experience when you eat you experience the taste of food he would experience the the suffering of the crucifixion for every single man aren't you glad that that is the case that he came to die for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life life that's forever life that goes on life that has no end again we want to remind you of what Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, the shape, who he is, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because they are equal. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost. But our contrast word, made himself of no reputation. It's what we, people call the kenosis meaning that he emptied himself of what he could have done at the cross, which is tell them to drop dead. He could have taken himself off the cross, kept himself from ever getting on the cross, but he emptied himself of doing anything that would stop him going to the cross, even though he prayed in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, which we'll get to in just a moment. And then it talks about God highly exalting him. So we see, yes, the crucifixion in play. But in verse 10, for it became him, 
for whom are all things and by whom are all things and bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. What we see here is not only the crucified one, but we see that he is the crucified one who is the creator. Just like in Philippians, he is equal with God. He is the one that made these things. And he's saying it's just fitting. It's just fitting that that Christ, who is worthy because of his divine nature, that he would be the one that would be able to do what no one else could do, bring many sons to glory, become the pioneer of salvation, become the only one who could go to the cross because he did not have a paternal earthly father, but the Holy Ghost. There was no seed of sin in him. So we see the Creator but we also see the cross when it talks about the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings and affliction. He was crucified at the cross. The cross was a place of affliction. It was a horrible way to die. It was a long way to die as you suffocated. And because they were coming close to the Passover, because it was close to the time when they would not be able to leave bodies on the cross, they came and broke the legs of the three that were being there. But when they got to Jesus, they saw that he was dead already and did not break his legs, that the scriptures would be fulfilled exactly like God said they would be fulfilled. The cross is a place we should never get over. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. Aren't you glad for that? On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And yet the chorus says, I'll cherish the old rugged cross. To the old rugged cross I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear till he calls me someday to my home far away where his glory forever I'll share. Great things about the cross. And that cross is the symbol of torture and hatred for those that put Christ on it. But Christ put himself on it because they couldn't put him on it. I mean... They did it because he let them. But as they did it in torture and anger, Christ went out of grace, love, and mercy. And it says here, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Based on the cross, not only the suffering, the Creator suffered, but He was then, because of the crucifixion and the cross, able and willing to call you and I brethren. Wow. Let that sink in. Let that get through. I have made you brothers. 
Your brother, we're, we call each other brothers and sisters in Christ. He's holy, and he is able to make us holy. How did he do that? Because he imputed on our account to his account, and he imputed it into righteousness. I'm clothed in Christ's righteousness, not mine. My righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm clothed in his righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, I will, by the way, this is a quote out of the Old Testament as well, out of the book of Psalms, but instead of the word church, it uses the word sanctuary. But here, we no longer have the temple and the sanctuary like that. We have the church. And aren't you glad that in the church of the called out saints of God, we are brethren. He brought many sons to glory. There are so many things that happened when you and I got saved. Have you ever tried to list them all? I mean, things that occurred. And one of the things that occurred was not only was I born into the family of God, but I was adopted as a son. Therefore, having all the rights and privileges of a son. So we are called heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. That, my friend, blows my mind. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? What is man that thou art mindful of him, and the son of man that thou visitest him? And he said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. We see the called have put their faith and trust. And Christ has saved us. And then he then shows us the connection of why he had to lead the glory world, come down to this earth and deal with our sin the way he did. He gives us the connection in verses 14 through verse 18. And the very first thing that he did to connect to you and I, verse 14, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, okay, he's talked about the children up above, then he himself also took on the same. Let's read the verse. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. Took part of the same. It's Paul Harvey's The Birds when the man said, if I could just become a bird, it could lead these birds to safety. They don't they're afraid of me. I'm big. I'm not who they are. They can't understand me. I, I don't have time in the broadcast to go through that whole uh, dissertation that Paul Harvey said about the birds. It's a wonderful story. You can look it up. But Christ came so that he could identify with us as a man, but as the perfect man. In the book of Luke, he's the perfect man. In the Mark, he's the servant willing to die. Luke He's willing to die, but he can die because he's the perfect man. And in John, he is the Son of God who has come into this earthly body to die. So God taking man's place. Therefore, in the Gospel of John, he said, I have power to lay my life down 
and I have power to pick it up. So we see, number one, he connected to us when he took on flesh. Number two, he did not take on that of angels. Look at what it says here. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he has also likewise took on part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. That's another reason that he came down to take the devil out and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He came down to connect to us so that he could die for us who have been in bondage to this flesh and the world and the devil so that he could then destroy the power of that devil and deliver us, take us, and it literally means deliver, means to change, to remove, to change, to transfer. Thank God for the change. I'm amazed at the change. And it says here, for verily he took not on him the nature of angels. That's not what he did. He did not connect to us through the nature of angels. We would not have gotten that. We would not, that would not have been the story of the birds. But he took on him the seed of Abraham. He did not take on the nature of angels. He did take on the seed of Abraham. From Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, what we call the proto-evangelical, the first mention of the gospel about the seed of the woman that would come and crush that serpent's head. But before that would happen, the seed of the devil would crush the Lord's foot. We were looking at the fact of Calvary. But I'm telling you here, we see right now that he took on that seed of Abraham, meaning that when the Jewish nation was established through that Jewish nation would come, starting with Abraham, all the way up to Mary, the Son of God. And then in the connection, we also see this, that he did so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, help them that are tempted. He came not only as a merciful and faithful high priest, he came to make reconciliation and he came to help. And my friend, the bottom line is this. Through that, he connected to us. Who am I? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Or the son of man that thou visitest him? Father, help us never get over that we are nothing and nobodies. And we cannot say, I am something. All we can say is, oh Lord, who am I? And thank you for visiting us, coming alongside to help, going to the cross, dying and raising again. We love you and we thank you. In the blessed name of Jesus, amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton. Have a wonderful day. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. This word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. Oh.
believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word. You have been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.